we turn this morning to Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was God grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom he sware that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Father, the essence of this portion of thy word we summarized last week around the table of our Lord in preparation. We return to the text now and pray that the Spirit of God would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would not only understand the essence of the text as it sits, but that we would be able to make good applications to our own opportunities right here and right now in serving you, loving you, worshiping you, honoring you as we know we ought. Thank you for the occasion. We ask your blessing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Not too hard to come up with an illustration to start this sermon because time has been on everybody's brain in an unusual way this weekend because of DST. You, I, I had to change our clocks, and if we didn't change our clocks, then we would still be in our pajamas. The idea of time on our minds is very helpful to understanding this section of Scripture. Three time periods, as recorded in Numbers 13 and 14, the original violation. I'm calling it this morning historical. Followed by Psalm 95. Long after the historical fact of provocation in the wilderness as recorded in Numbers 13 and 14, you have the psalmist, Psalm 95, appealing to the uh, 
people of his day concerning worshiping God aright and the opportunity they have in the moment. And uh, he brings forward memory of the historical in a moment of time that I'm calling uh, poetical. A poetical moment of time in which application of the former historical provocation is brought to bear in another generation. And then much later, Hebrews 3. So Numbers 13, 14, Psalm 95, Hebrews 3 would be the passages that reflect the three time periods. And Hebrews 3 is talking about the Hebrew people of the New Testament era that uh, likewise have opportunity before God and, uh, and are being encouraged so as to not miss that opportunity before God. So time is one of the outstanding factors in this particular passage of the word of God. Three time periods, and the thing that links the three time periods together is an opportunity from God. It's not the same opportunity, The opportunity of Numbers 13 and 14 was not the opportunity of Psalm 95. The opportunity of Psalm 95 is not the opportunity of Hebrews 3, but it's an opportunity from God. And it's the time of that opportunity that is brought to bear by way of testimony. Uh, Numbers 13, 14, Psalm 95, and then again now, uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And if you want to, then we just take it one more step, and that's today. This day, our day. And making application of the same concept as it relates to time. And, of course, then, the other key component of this section of the Word of God has to do with the the word today. It's found repeatedly in this text. Of course, it's quoting Psalm 95 and verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. And then, of course, you have a little bit uh, later, uh, later on, verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Today, today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And then again, verse 15, while it is said today. So it's kind of hard to miss. It's a time-related text in which it says today, today, today. Now what's the significance of today? Well, the significance of today is it isn't yesterday. Yesterday be gone. Yesterday's over. Whatever opportunity came from God yesterday is over. Opportunity can never be about yesterday. It has to be about today. And of course, then the other thing that's unusual about today is It isn't tomorrow. Tomorrow is tomorrow. And you can tell I've been trained. It's not today. (laughs) And so tomorrow is not yesterday. And yesterday is not tomorrow. And neither one of them are today. Now when it comes to the subject of opportunity from God and the hardening of one's heart. Here's the topic. The opportunity from God and the hardening of one heart, when it comes to that, you must not let your mind go back to yesterday. You must not let your mind go forward to tomorrow. You must do your thinking today. 
Those are the important structural facets of this appeal in Hebrews chapter 3. Beginning at verse 7 and running down through verse 19. Built upon the historical reality of that infamous Jewish violation of faith, when it was their opportunity, here's their opportunity, to enter into the land of promise as given them by God. The opportunity had been created by God for Israel after their deliverance from Egypt. God said he would give them the land of promise, and at a given point in time, he took them to the gateway of that land and said, This is the land I'm giving you. He then encouraged the aspect that they send uh, spies into the land to check it out, and they did. And you know that the spies came back with a majority report, and the majority report was, let's not obey God. The giants are too big, the conflicts potentially are too great, and so as a result of that, we can't trust God for tomorrow So we will harden our hearts today. And so they hardened their hearts against the leading of God. They hardened their hearts against the gift of God. They hardened their hearts against the faithful communication of God. And that thing is called in scripture the provocation. You find it in verse 8. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. And you find it again in verse 15. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. So the provocation is a title specific that relates to the idea of a historical point in time in which the people refused to go on with God into the land as promised. Now, if you ask yourself, why did they refuse to go into the land of promise? Uh, 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 the, The answer that the people would have given is giants and conflict. And that would be understood by us in this generation as simple excuse, simple excuses that were raised in order to refuse that which God had clearly said. At that given point in time, because of some difficulties coming their way, long after God's deliverance, long after God's consistent proving of himself time after time after time again to the nation of Israel, uh, they refused to believe God. And that thing is called in Scripture the provocation. The heart hardening, the rebellious moment in time uh, was uh, then cited, as we said in Psalm 95, afterwards by the psalmist. And uh, the opportunity in Psalm 95 is a completely different opportunity than the opportunity of Numbers 13 and 14. In fact, uh, we might say that the opportunity of of Psalm 95 is is rather generic. 
in comparison to the opportunity of Numbers 13 and 14. The psalmist called and invited the people, saying, quote, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. In Psalm 95, this idea of refusing to take God's opportunity in the moment, this idea of refusing to take God's offering of the day, is brought to bear in regards to what we would call corporate worship. The psalmist is simply calling the people of God in Psalm 95 to a time of public worship, just like this time of public worship. And, uh, and, uh, and the psalmist is, is led of the Lord to say uh, this opportunity from God for worship is all about today. Oh, you met today? Well, I got other things to do. How about if we meet tomorrow? No. Today. What about yesterday? Yesterday I would have come. No. Today. Today. It's about recognizing the opportunity from God today. And being careful not to miss that opportunity. I can never, in my adulthood, reference the word opportunity without being reminded of Lois Hansewitz, my high school Latin teacher. She put it on the list of words to be memorized for Latin class. Opportunus, op, preposition, towards, portus, port. The word opportunity means the line between wherever you are and port. Or if you will, wherever you are and home. God brings to every day its opportunity. And the concern of the apostle in uh, Hebrews 3 is that uh, the opportunity is being missed as people have taken their eyes off the Lord Jesus. And so you have reference back to the appeal for worship and the opportunity for that in Psalm 95, which is built upon the former opportunity of the nation of Israel going to the land of promise as referenced in Numbers 13, 14, also that the scripture in this case can appeal to the believers, to the professors of Christ, concerning not missing their opportunity from the Lord in their day, in their day. And what is it that could cause the missing of great opportunity? Well, of course, it would be unbelief. In fact, the logic of the passage hangs upon verse 19. So we see that they, referring back to the people in Numbers 13 and 14, they could not enter in 
because of unbelief. We could say it otherwise. God would not let them enter in because of their unbelief. The text raises the biblical concern of heart hardening in regards to the Hebrew believers. We know that some of the Hebrew believers were wavering in their faith because of pressures and persecutions. We know that other Hebrew Christians uh, of that period of time needed to be reminded, as it were, to persevere in faith uh, uh, because of the fact that the completion of rest as promised us in Christ uh, had not yet come. And of course, as we construe our own opportunity in today, we can likewise say that our full opportunity of completed rest in Christ has not yet come. You and I can say saved. You and I can say being saved. And yet you and I would not add to say saved. Saved, saved? Yep. Today. What about saved? Well, maybe tomorrow. Maybe in the will of God tomorrow. And on that basis, we must persevere. So you take the three time frames, Numbers 13, 14, Psalm 95, Hebrews 3, and you link those things together under the banner of opportunity and the great danger of hardening your heart in unbelief, and you understand here uh, the simple premise of this text. And the simple premise of the text is this. The very thing the Israelis of old did historically the Hebrew Christians were in danger of doing ecclesiastically. That the thing that was done by the nation of Israel would be done in kind. It's not the same opportunity, so it's not exactly the same thing, but would be done in kind in regards to the Lord's church. Hard-hardening was, and... uh, and was again the reason for opportunity missed. And heart hardening could be, the writer is saying to the Hebrew Christians in that day, could be the loss of opportunity for them. And I say, in application to us this morning, uh, heart hardening could be a problem for you and me concerning some specific promise made that God has given to us in which, indeed, we are not able to enter into it as promised because of unbelief, as is indicated in verse 19. So, historical provocation, poetical provocation, and now ecclesiastical provocation. Now, there is a serious and sobering application of all this to believers in our generation, alive before the return of Christ. Trusting God is not just a part of our redemptive past. But trusting God is an ongoing part of our present experience in growth and development. The book of Hebrews builds a case for living faith. The book of Hebrews teaches us that no 
real Christian testimony says, I believed, but that all true Christian testimony says, I believe. That if you are postured of soul as I believed in the past, that's not the same as saying I believe. And so again, these words, trusting God is not just a part of our redemptive past. That redemptive past as to a day and time would have been May 1960 for me. But my faith in God cannot be expressed as simply an act of trust in my own redemptive past, but rather an ongoing part of my present experience in growth and development in the Lord. The point here is not so much about a past faith disavowed, as it is about a future faith yet to be expressed. Because we live in time. And everybody here, as we sit here, understands the reality of today. Everybody here still has some cognitive awareness of yesterday. Everybody here has some cognitive awareness of tomorrow. And yet, as to living, we ultimately cannot live in the period of time called yesterday. And we cannot live in the period of time called tomorrow. But we do live in the period of time called today. And so the concern of Hebrews is heart-hardening on this day. So as to miss, as it were, the opportunities that God is bringing to his people. So you take the command of chapter 3, verse 1, consider, meaning to keep one eyes on Jesus and connect it to the ongoing concern here of unbelief. What's the positive thing to do? Well, the positive truth as stated is, is keeping our eyes on Christ as the ultimate messenger of God, missionary from God, mediator between God and man, and living in confidence, as it were. Verse 6, now, and rejoicing in the time to come when the things that are promised us are complete. We sing songs like, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Well, it's not too hard to look out the window today and see the cold wind and the snow blowing and uh, know what's on the schedule for today and say, well, this isn't exactly heaven yet. Now, is it? Our saving faith grows in experience as we keep our eyes on Jesus until the day in which our faith gives way to sight. And faith shall be no more. I'm looking forward to the absolute annihilation of my faith. I shall see Jesus, and faith shall be no more. 
But today, there's a concern, and negatively stated, as our passage negatively renders it, is the ongoing concern over those without faith or those that possess weak and wavering faith so as to not lay hold of the things that God has assigned for today. Obviously, God has not assigned to today a world without war. So if you're just so terribly interested in living in a world without war, you can carry all the peace signs you want to in downtown Grand Rapids. It's not going to change the reality of today. But God has granted blessings, wonderful things to be enjoyed and cherished and fortifying our souls today. And one thing for sure is you don't want to harden your heart so as to miss those things. So I would say, and this is important, not only for this text, but for a lot of texts upcoming in the next number of weeks, the things that are said here are legitimate issues for both saved and unsaved people. That ultimately, if you take the appeal of Hebrews and you apply it uh, to the realities of today, then this idea of heart hardening is an issue in the life of both saved and unsaved people. In order for people to be saved, they are going to have to exercise faith. If they remain with a hardened heart and unbelief, they shall not be saved. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we are told in the Bible of somebody like unsaved Pharaoh. Nobody believes he's a saved man. Nobody says, boy, when I get to heaven, I'm so looking forward to meeting Pharaoh, the one that put the screws to Moses. I'm looking forward to meeting. No, nobody talks like that. Why? Because we don't expect Pharaoh to be a part of our eternal future in the presence of the Lord. He's not a saved man. But what are we told of Pharaoh? What are we told about his day? and the opportunity that God brought to him to let his people go. We are told that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And yet you and I construe clearly Pharaoh to be a non-saved man. Therefore, I'm simply saying that the opportunities that God assigns to a day uh, come before the unsaved, and the unsaved ought to be encouraged not to harden their heart against this day of opportunity for salvation. Amen? That said, we are also told in the context of the passage, we are told of a group of people that are known to be God's people. And what did those people of God do in that historical moment of time? Well, they hardened their hearts in unbelief. And as a result of that, for 40 years... They wandered in the wilderness until that entire generation of Jewish adults were put in the grave. And then only two men, Joshua and Caleb, were allowed to 
transfer, transfer the, from one generation to the next in leadership of the children of Israel into the land of promise. In that case, provocation involves the hardening the heart of those that are God's people. Or as we would talk about it in common terms, the hardening hearts relative to the people that profess to be saved. Now, are all the people that profess to be saved saved? No. But surely some of them are. Moses didn't get to go into the land of promise, but I expect to see Moses. Miriam didn't get to go into the land of promise, but I expect to see Miriam. Aaron didn't go into the land of promise, but I expect to see Aaron. Many of the people that suffered the consequences of national unbelief are going to be in heaven. They're God's children. And so we're being told in Hebrews of the distinct possibility that some promise of God to us is going to be missed today in this day because of heart hardening. And so we could simply uh, press the text in regards to its overall emphasis to say, wow, pay attention to faith, pay attention to unbelief. Go to God and go to God and tell the Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Sure, there are things over which would rise in our minds to cause doubts and fears, or if you will, giants and conflicts. They can be real. And yet when God has called and God has led and God has spoken, we have to be careful to respond to God and not like those people historically at Kadesh Barnea who heard God and knew his will and word and refused uh, to go forward in faith. And so verse 12 says to us, take heed or watch out, beware, exercise some spiritual discernment. The word beware is predicated upon the Greek word to, meaning to see, to see with one's own eyes. And it's interesting because the word in verse 12 that describes the particular sin of historical Israel as recorded in Numbers 13 and 14, uh, verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in you any evil heart of unbelief in departing from the Lord. That word departing, uh, I do believe, is the key word of this entire text. It specifies the particular concern as raised here before the Hebrews Christians, as was raised poetically to the worshipers in Psalm 95, and was raised uh, historically uh, before the children of Israel at the doorway into the land of promise. It describes the sin in the terms of stepping aside or stepping away. The single greatest running back my poor and losing Detroit Lions have ever known is the phenomenal Barry Sanders. Nobody has ever been a better running back in Detroit than Barry Sanders. 
And if you really are up on football stats, you might be able to say with me that Barry Sanders is one of the greatest running backs of all times. And one of the things that Barry Sanders was particularly adept at doing was stepping aside. The play is going that way, and he wants to go that way, but he might or he would juke this way and juke that way and spin this way and spin that way and go forward. He was great at stepping aside. Stepping aside is a wonderful thing in the life of a halfback or a fullback. It's not a good thing in the life of a believer. In the life of a believer, you want to go on with God. You want to take God at his word. You want to believe God. You want to act upon the things that God has said to you, and you want to be obedient to those things. And so Hebrews raises the issue of warning. Beware, lest you step aside. Lest you step aside and away from God's provision in leading in a day. And that, of course, was the exact case in historical Israel. God wonderfully provided and led his people. And at a given point in opportunity, they stepped aside from God. In the light of their sinfulness and lacking trust in the Almighty, we are to exhort one another, verse 13, daily in following God according to his provisions and his opportunities granted to us in Christ. As partakers in Christ, verse 14, there must be an ongoing exercise of faith, not just a claim of its beginning. There is here a thread line not to be missed. The word partaker speaks of a person who shares in a thing or a business. We might use the word today, partner, a partner. In this case, we're talking about the partnership of Christ and his partners, Christ and associates, the son and sons, Christ and sons, that business, that's what we're talking about here. And as we think about that, it's interesting because there's been a little bit of a, the development of a, of a thread line developed. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, we were told that Christ is anointed above his partners. And we uh, said in chapter 1 and verse 9 that the term partners there refers both to elect angels and to redeemed individuals on earth. Christ is above his partners. And then in, uh, in chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, we, uh, we read again this idea of holy brethren and partners Partakers, partners of heavenly calling. The highest of all callings is the calling of Christ, and the believer in Jesus shares in that calling of Christ. This 14th verse tells us that we are made to be active partners with Christ. And when we are active in faith, we retain our confidence in the days of earthly sojourn. Until the Lord returns. Active faith, not static. Belief, not unbelief. Today. We're talking about today. I'm talking about yesterday. 
If in quick evaluation of yesterday you deem yourself to be lacking in faith as to the opportunities that God uh, uh, gave to you yesterday, here's what you do about that. Confess your sin, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive all sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And get away from tomorrow. Uh, get away from yesterday, rather, and don't let your mind go to tomorrow, because tomorrow the evil will be sufficient for that day. Tomorrow will have its own burdens. Tomorrow will have its own blessings. Tomorrow will have its own opportunities. Don't get there yet, because you're here now. Live for God today. Don't harden your heart today. Some of God's people are not active partners because of self-deceiving nature of sin. We're told that in 13b. As any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The historical example of sinful failure and consequence is then restated, verses 15 to 19. In the whole of the text, we have here a warning against the actual losses potentially suffered by the saved and the unsaved. We affirm our doctrinal assertion that once a person is saved, they're forever saved. We cannot sin our way out of salvation. God's love does not let go. But we must honestly confront the truth of the historical case when the people of God delivered from Egypt died in the wilderness. As true Christians, metaphorically, we cannot return to Egypt. But we can surely die in the wilderness. Pastorally, my heart breaks for so many people who profess to know the Lord who appear to be dying in the wilderness when God has not only delivered them from the penalty of their sin and death, but has provided for them the indwelling spirit so as to be strengthened and to live contrary to the power of sin that continues to plague us all. We have, from the Lord today, very real opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't. Father, this morning,